began last week looking at this great hall of faith, and uh, we will be uh, considering once again what it looks like to live a life of faith. And uh, uh, as unto the Lord, between now and Easter, we're going to be looking at this wonderful chapter of God's Word as we ourselves seek a vibrant faith, a faith in the Lord that is, uh, that is also something that, uh, that others can recognize and see at the, the foundation of our lives, just as faith was the foundation of those who are described in Hebrews chapter 11. We saw last week, it's not enough for us just to hear about those who have a strong faith, but that we ourselves want to pursue a vibrant faith in the Lord, a faith that guides everything that we do, that serves as a foundation for our lives, but really defines all that we are about. Hebrews chapter 11 gives a good definition of faith. In fact, let's look back at verses 1 and 6 and see the elements of a definition of biblical faith. Verse 1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And then in verse 6, it says, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so we, we said last week, in looking at both of these verses, we could summarize with this definite faith, something is true, and then committing our lives to it. So there's really two elements to this type of authentic faith. The first is a belief an assurance that what God said is true. We hold to that. We trust it. But then that belief and trust is seen in the way that we obey, the way that we commit our lives to this very truth, that, we, that it's more than just words that we say. And as we look in Hebrews chapter 11, we certainly see that. We see that that is the case for those who, uh, uh, who demonstrated this faith in God. We begin uh, by looking at the first hero of the faith that's mentioned in the chapter. If you want to look at verse 4 with me, we'll begin by looking at the faith of Abel. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. So we come to the first hero of the faith today, and it's Abel. Uh, Abel demonstrates a faith that worships God. And we're going to see that that is what Abel is known for. He's known for the way in which he worshiped, that he worshiped God and that his worship was acceptable. His worship was pleasing to the Lord. And so we see that faith leads to action. And in this case, faith leads to worship. And it, it, it drove Abel to, to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. In fact, it says in this verse that he offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Cain was, Cain was his older brother. And so they were two sons of Adam and Eve. So we go way back, don't we, into the book of Genesis to learn about Cain and Abel. Abel was a keeper 
of the flocks, and Cain was a, uh, a tiller of the ground. Now, there's not a lot of details given to us in Genesis 4 on how Cain and Abel knew that they were to worship the Lord, or to know how to worship the Lord, or even the idea of giving a sacrifice. Those, those instructions must have been given to them, for they knew to go to the Lord, to the Lord in worship. Uh, maybe they got those instructions from their parents, Adam and Eve. We're, we're just not sure. It doesn't give us that detail. But either way, they knew that they were to worship, and they were to do so in a particular way. And it's interesting as we look at what Abel has done, he gives the first recorded act of worship as a sacrifice. And so a sacrifice would have been the giving of an animal uh, a, 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 as a sin offering, that one must be a sacrifice for another. And so it's a picture that we continue to see all the way up to the death of Jesus Christ. But it begins here with the idea of a sacrifice, one being a substitute for another. Genesis chapter 4 tells us in verse 3, here's a summary of that account. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the Lord's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock, and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. And we know that it would lead to a very sad account, a family feud that would end with the death of Abel at the hand of his brother Cain. So in reading the account of Genesis 4, the big question is probably this. Why did God reject Cain's sacrifice, his offering, and accept Abel's? Was it the method that Abel was using? Was it the heart that Abel had? Uh, was, what was the, uh, uh, the significance of his offering uh, as we compare it to Cain's? There's a lot of, of dialogue and debate on this. Um, many uh, believe that it's because of the, the way in which Abel provided a, a sacrifice by, by having the death of an animal uh, in place of his own sin. It was, it was following the pattern that God would give for the ages of one becoming a substitute for another. The idea of, of the severity of sin, that it would require a payment of death. Now, of course, we know that, that this, this sacrificial system came to an end in the days of uh, in the death of Jesus Christ, but throughout the Old Testament, we see this pattern. And so it's as if Abel understood the instructions and Abel did it the way God wanted, whereas Cain did not. We see that Abel's sacrifice uh, was the beginning. Abel's lamb was one lamb for one person. Later in the days of Moses, there would be the Passover, which would be one lamb for one family. And then later, the nation of Israel would have a, a, a most holy day that they called the Day of Atonement, in which the high priest would, would have one animal sacrifice given for the entire nation. But then finally, on Good Friday, Jesus Christ would come, and he would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. One Lamb, one, one for all as it says in Hebrews chapter 7. Sacrifice is the acknowledgement that we are sinners, 
that our sin is serious, that sin deserves death. And this sacrifice, again, gives the understanding that one can become a substitute for another. This would be seen throughout the Old Testament. It would point to the coming saving work of Jesus Christ. Now, many years after the days of Cain and Abel, God would establish offerings that that could use fruit of the ground, grain and fruit, vegetables and so forth. But at this point, uh, Cain's method was not right. He, uh, uh, he didn't do it the way God had required and his sacrifice was rejected. Now, it's interesting that Cain's name comes up in the New Testament as well. That Cain would forever be known as one who tried to do things his own way one who was not obedient. And so we have the contrast between Cain and Abel. Abel, by faith, did things the way the Lord wanted, and he was, he was uh, approved, his, his faith was highlighted, and yet Cain, on the other hand, was one who did not. If you look at, in the, the little book of Jude, verse 11, it says in a, in a section about those who were not following after the Lord, it says, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And so it's this idea that even thousands of years after the, the life of Cain, he is still memorialized as, as living a life that goes in a different direction from the Lord, the way of Cain, not the way of the Lord. Both in Genesis chapter 4 and in Hebrews chapter 11, there is an idea that Abel is still speaking even after his life is over. If you look back in the Genesis 4 account, you'll see that God approaches Cain and says that, that, that after the death of Abel, that his blood was still crying from the ground. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it, it makes uh, the statement that, that he uh, still today has a message that is, that is going forth. It says at the end of verse 4, he still speaks through his faith. The lives of Cain and Abel still communicate a message long after their lives are over. There was a Scottish theologian by the name of James Moffat who said it this way. He said, death is never the last word. When a man leaves this world, be he righteous or unrighteous, thinking of Cain and, and Abel, he leaves something in the world. He may leave something that will grow and spread like a cancer or a poison, or he may leave something like the fragrance of perfume or a blossom of beauty that permeates the atmosphere with blessing. As we read these words, you may be reminded of someone in your life that has gone on before, that has already gone home to be with the Lord, and their, their influence, their impact is still felt in your life. You still remember their faith. You remember their walk with God. And you would say, yes, even though they have gone to be with him, there is still that influence. There is still that impact. And that is what we see in Abel's faith as well, a faith that continues to encourage, that continues to lead us into a closer walk with the Lord, particularly as it leads before worship. Because even today, we're called to worship the Lord, to, re to reflect on who he is, his greatness, 
his majesty. We're called to reflect on what he has done and to, to give him gratitude and thanksgiving and praise. All of this worship is something that, uh, that we can even see going all the way back to the days of Cain and Abel. Let us be those who allow our faith to encourage us in our worship. Well, let's keep reading in Hebrews 11, and we're going to be introduced to another person. This time it's Enoch. It says in verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So in Enoch's case, we see a faith that walks with God. Now we go about seven generations after uh, Adam and Eve through the line of Seth and we see the person of Enoch. He is first listed in Genesis chapter 5 as part of a genealogy. And just a, a short statement here, it says, Enoch walked with God, then he was not there because God took him. And so uh, it's a very interesting life. One of only two who never experienced death. And one who walked with God and then he was taken. To walk with God means to go in the same direction of God. Just think about that statement for a minute, what it means to walk with God, to follow after him, to be in agreement with him. You can contrast that with the way of Cain, can't you? The Cain had a way, he had a, he had a plan, he had, he had his own way that was not commended by the Lord, but then there is this one called Enoch who walked with God. Can you think about that testimony for a minute? Wouldn't you like to be known as someone who walks with God? When people look at your life and say, here is someone whose, whose life is following after the Lord, whose, whose walk is in harmony with the word of God, obeying and following fully who he is. Because it seems like we have a choice to go our own way or to go with the way of the Lord. In fact, throughout the New Testament, there, is, there are many passages that speak about walking with God. It's, it's, it's used as a metaphor, a, a picture of a life that is in sync with him. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Romans chapter 6, it says in verse 4, Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. And so this is a verse that very clearly says that when someone comes to faith in Christ, this is what happens. The old life is buried. The old life is gone. You are given a new life in Jesus Christ. Everything that, that took place before that encounter with Christ is what is the old life. That is what was forgiven. That is what is buried. And what is given to you as a follower of Christ is a, is a brand new life. You have faith. You have hope. You have, you have guidance and direction as, as Christ is both Savior and Lord. 
And there, there must be a point in time in which someone professes Christ. It's that, that point of conversion where it's, 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 like, it's like everything before that is the, is the B.C. days, right? The before Christ. And everything else after that is the time in which you are in the Lord. And that's what, that's what uh, Romans 6 is telling us. It's a, it's a great picture of baptism, isn't it? Oftentimes when we see someone baptized, we, we reference this to say, the old life is buried, right? But in Christ, there's a new life. And in that new life, what does it say there at the end of verse 4? That we are to walk in newness of life. We're not to walk like we used to walk. We don't go the direction that we used to go. We now have a new walk, a new life in Christ. That's one example. Let's look at another. Galatians 5, verse 16, it says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Again, what do we see? A contrast. We can, we, can, we can walk by the old fleshly ways that still uh, tend to, to hang on and, and tend to tempt us and try to take us away from the way of the Lord, or we can walk by the Spirit. Because with Christ living within us, His Spirit indwells, and it's His Spirit that seeks to guide us into this new way of living. And so every day we really have that decision. Am I going to walk in the Spirit? Am I going to be filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, live in, in this way that God wants me to live? Or will I walk after the things of the flesh? Again, we see the contrast there in Galatians 5. It continues in the book of 1 John. Another example, 1 John chapter 1. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we, what does it say? Walk in darkness. We are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's a lot there in those verses. And we, we even see the picture of sacrifice, don't we? That we looked at earlier. But here is the idea of a walk in the light. Not in the darkness of the world, but in the light of Christ, in the light of his word, that that is where the truth is found. And one last verse that speaks of, of a walk with God. Look at the little book of 3 John. And we see here in verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. Can I ask you, parents, grandparents, is there a greater joy than this? Then to know that, 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 that our own, our children, our grandchildren are pursuing after the things of the Lord, that they, are, that they are walking in truth, that they are walking after him. This is what we pray for. This is what we seek to encourage. And this is what brings the greatest joy when we have children, grandchildren, those in our family that are also walking in truth. Well, we know that Enoch was one, according to the book of Genesis, who was one who walked with God. 
And this is part of his testimony. And uh, there are probably days where he, he may have had a lot of pressure. There may have been days where it was a struggle to walk with God, and yet he did. And I know that some, that, that, that some would, would look at that and, 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 and wonder, what, what does that type of walk look like? And I would say that it's likely a daily walk over the long haul. That it's, it's, it's not like a, a marathon race where someone just completes it and says, okay, I walked with God. Now that I, got, I can check that off the box, right? But instead, it's over the long haul, day by day, decision by decision, saying, is this... Is this a walk with God? Is this the way that God is leading? Because every day we, we have the choices. We have the desires of the flesh. We have the ways of darkness in contrast, in competition with the way of the Lord. Well, again, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. Enoch had quite a testimony. It says, by faith Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. So just in this verse, we see some, some incredible things. He, he received a, a reward that, that is, that is uh, incredible. One of only two people, the other being Elijah, who did not die. It says in this verse, he did not experience death. But it also says in this verse that Enoch is known as one who pleased God. One who pleased God. Now, I asked you earlier, wouldn't, wouldn't it be a great testimony to be known as one who walked with God? Could I also ask you the same question with this? Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be great to be known as one who pleased God? That that's your testimony. Yes, I know so-and-so. They are one who walks with God. They are one who seeks to please God. Let that be a life ambition. Let that be a daily goal to seek to please the Lord. Now, we looked at this last week in the, uh, in the opening message of Hebrews 11 because we, we realized that, that oftentimes when we make that decision that, that we want to please God, what does the... What does that mean as it relates to other people? Oftentimes, it means they're not going to be pleased. And we have to make the decision. Am I going to be a people pleaser? Is my life going to reflect simply trying to please people? Or is my life going to go in the direction of seeking to please God? Letting that be the path in which I want to walk. We can't do both. Now, some might say, well, it was easy for Enoch to please God. He lived a long time ago. He didn't live in a day like our day. It's hard to please God today. Well, let me just give you one verse from Genesis 6 that talks about this same time period in which Enoch lived. Genesis 6, verse 5. It says, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. Think about it. We're leading up to the days of Noah here. This was not an easy time to live for the Lord. And I'm sure that Enoch had a lot of hard decisions to not get pulled in to the thinking of the world, the ways of the world, but instead to walk with God. 
sure there was violence and immorality. There was greed, materialism, all of the ungodly behavior that goes along with this. It would have been difficult. But Enoch is an example of faith that led to obedience. That's part of our definition that we've been looking at. He demonstrates a faith that obeys in that daily walk with God. I read uh, an author by the name of Fred Craddock, and he said this. He said, to give my life for Christ appears glorious, to pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom. I'll do it, Lord, I'm ready. He writes to go out in a blaze of glory. In this, he says, sometimes we think that, that, uh, that giving our life for God is like laying a $1,000 bill on the table and saying, here's my life, take it all. Now, I didn't have a $1,000 bill to bring. I'm, I'm all out of them. But I've, I, I had my son pull this one out of our game of life. So just think about it. Do we just take the, the money and say, okay, Lord, there is my life. You've got me. You've got all of me. And, and this author says it's, it's oftentimes like God tells us to take that to the bank and exchange it for quarters. I did have some quarters. That oftentimes our service to the Lord isn't just putting down the $1,000 bill, but it's one day at a time. There's a quarter. We're listening to someone who has a struggle going on in their life. We take the time to listen to them. We see someone that has a need, and we say, it's not the, the, the most convenient time for me to go and help them, but I'm going to go and help. That's, that's, that's part of what I'm called to do. And then we, we explore our spiritual gifts, and we see an opportunity to serve, and, and it, it, it takes time, and it takes effort. And, and some of you all here have been, been preparing for, for even serving and ministering today. Maybe you've been studying a lesson, or you've been working with a, a minister, or maybe you had to come early, and it's like, okay, there's, there's part of my service for the day. This is part of my service day after day. It's a little bit at a time, day after day. And I thought that's, that's really the picture of the life of faith, of walking with God. It's not like it's one great big thing that we do and it's over, but it's poured out a little bit at a time, day after day. That's what it means to walk with God. Well, there's one final person to consider this morning in Hebrews 11. Look at verse 7 with me. Hebrews 11, verse 7. I think this is probably one that, that may be as familiar as any in uh, chapter 11. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we're going to see that, that Noah's faith was a faith that worked. But I want us to see that it wasn't his work that he was commended for. It was his faith. His faith led him to the work that he did for God. In fact, if he had not had that faith, he would not have worked for the Lord, and we wouldn't have known the name Noah today. It was his faith that led him. I want us to think for a minute. Started with Abel. Abel was a faith that worshiped, right? And then we went to Enoch, and he was 
demonstrating a faith that walked with God. And now we come to we, we come to Noah who demonstrates a faith that works for God. Do you see a pattern here? Do you see something that, 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 that you might be able to relate to? First, we, we understand who he is and we begin to worship him. And then we begin to walk with him. And as our faith grows, we have the opportunity to work and to serve him as he does a work within us. It's a very interesting and deliberate order that we see in these verses. We know that throughout the New Testament, we're told that, that faith is to be accompanied with works. James 2 verse 26 says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And we've got to be careful to not say what it's, to, to not try to make it say something different. And to say that it's the, the work that causes the faith, it's not that at all. But a genuine faith in the Lord, an authentic faith is one that leads to serving, leads to working, leads to obedience. Noah may have said that he had faith, but if he had not built the ark, he would not have been known for what he did. His name wouldn't have been recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. Noah showed his faith by his works. Again, talk can be cheap, right? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. And that's what we see here in the life of Noah. In Ephesians chapter 2, it speaks of this as well. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And what's interesting is that Ephesians 2 is also speaking about salvation coming by faith, right? It's by grace, not by works. But then it says we are his workmanship and we are created for good works. And so that's the, the overflow. That's the product of our faith is when he is working in us and through us as only he can. Well, there's an element of Noah's faith that's emphasized in verse 7. If you look there back in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says, By faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen. That sounds very familiar to verse 1. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. The idea here that, that we are called to hear God's word, even if it's something that has not yet been seen. Noah hadn't seen the reason for an ark yet, but he believed God's word. He heard that judgment was coming. He heard that a flood was coming, something that the world had never seen before, and yet he believed not with what he saw with his eyes, but what he heard from the Lord. I think it was probably back in the, in the early 90s, there was a, a, a popular bumper sticker that you'd see on cars. It said something to the effect of, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Anybody ever see that old bumper sticker? Maybe you've still got one. I don't know. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I can remember hearing a pastor, and I was in college at the time, and he said uh, something to the effect of, 
I don't care if you believe it or not. If God said it, that settles it. He was really, he, he kind of took offense at this whole idea of the bumper sticker, right? He's like, it's, it's not a matter of whether or not, not I believe it. It's that God said it and it's settled. But I think I know what is trying to be communicated. And that is that when God says it, that we take it. That we take his words, we hold on to them. Even if they are words about things that we've not yet seen, we can trust them because these are words that come from God. We can trust his character. We know that he's not leading us astray, that he's calling us to prepare, to be ready. Noah was called to trust in something that he'd not seen. And it's interesting that Jesus also uses the life of Noah to say that we also need to be prepared for a time beyond this world, that we also need to be prepared for a time of God's judgment. In Matthew chapter 24, it says in verses 36 through 39, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the son, except the father alone. And look at the connection here. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. Speaking of the second coming. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. So Jesus points to the ark. He points to Noah as one who was making preparation. Verse 44, this is why you are also to be ready because the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So as we wrap things up this morning and we look at the example of faith, can I ask you, are you believing God? Are you trusting in his word? Even the parts of the, the, the word that we've not yet seen, the things of the, that will take place in the future, are we like Noah and having faith even in those things that we can be prepared to meet God when our time on earth is over? Well, we've looked at the examples this morning of Abel, one who worshiped God. May we too be worshipers. We've looked at the example of Enoch who walked with God. May we as well walk with God. May we please him. But may we also see to the example of Noah, one who worked, one who served, one who believed. And what we see in each case is that God calls us to a faith that is an active faith, a faith that calls for obedience, a faith that calls for a response. And so as we go to the Lord in prayer today, I ask you this, where is God leading you? Where is he calling you to take a step of faith? For as we look across this room, it could be a little different from person to person. Maybe for some, it's that first step of faith, that first step of obedience to, to trust in Christ for salvation. Maybe for others, it's a step of maturity to begin serving or to go forth and, and to, to, to make a decision to not follow the desires of the flesh, but, to decide, but instead to decide to, to put away the, the sin that entangles us and instead pursue the way of the light. What is it for you? 
Isn't it exciting to think and to know that the, that the message of faith for us is not simply something that is, that is kept in our minds, but it's something that's seen in the way in which we live. So what is the response for you today? I'm gonna go ahead and ask our prayer and encouragement team to make their way to the tables. They are there each week to talk with anyone that has a, a question about what it means to trust Christ. If you have a, a question about, about what it means to pursue him, to follow him, if, if you're just not sure about your walk with God and you want to talk with someone about it, they are prepared and ready to talk with you about what it means to know Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you've got a, a struggle taking place in life and, and you'd like for someone to pray with you, to bring something before the Lord in prayer. Stop by and talk with one of them. Either during this next song or when the song is over, you can drop by the table. I'm also going to invite the ushers to come and receive the offering for this morning as we give back gifts of worship, tithes, and offerings today. Why don't we pray that God will bless this time of response for his purpose and for his glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We have heard Hebrews 11 recited for us today, shared with us. And now, Father, we pray that you would use your word, that you would use it to build our faith to encourage us to live lives of obedience for you. Lord, we pray that if there's any among us today who have not yet placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, that this could be a day of salvation, that this could be a turning point where the old life is buried and that there is a new life today in Christ. Father, we thank you for the time that we've been able to worship and we pray, Lord, that you will take this time and, and, and encourage us with it to stay close to you, to walk with you, to live this life for you. We thank you also, God, that we can give back tithes and offerings. We pray that you will receive them today and use them. Use them to sustain ministry here in our community, but also through the missionary efforts in other parts of this world, may your name be made great. We pray this in the precious and the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all of God's people said, amen. amen.